Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. It's good. We're, we're continuing our series in the Call of the Prophets. We're looking at how God called the prophets into ministry, and then based on that call, God went, or the, peop, the prophets went to the people of God and called the people of God to return to God in a specific way. And as we go through this, we're just sort of doing uh, one book per Sunday. We're looking at one little part of one little book per Sunday. We've done Hosea and we've done Isaiah, and today we're in Jeremiah because in the F260 reading plan that we're doing, we are in Jeremiah, and I want to give you a lot of context because most of us only know uh, one verse in Jeremiah, and, and it hangs on a lot of people's walls. It's an inspirational verse. Does anyone know which verse I'm talking about? Jeremiah 29.11, which says this. I think we've got it up here. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a hope or future and a hope. And that's probably the most quoted verse in Jeremiah. Um, But it's interesting because it's such a positive verse. We love it. But the book of Jeremiah is actually pretty dark. It's a pretty depressing book to read because it's right at the end of the kingdom in Israel. It's right as the disobedience of God's people has gotten so bad in the promised land that because of their disobedience, Babylon is going to come in and take over their land and deport them to Babylon. And and the city of Jerusalem is going to fall. The temple is going to be deconstructed. And it just looks like there's no hope. And so to understand this verse, we really have to understand the context of Jeremiah, that uh, these people were deported 1,500 miles away. I think we have a map there that you can show, a map there. You'll see right in the middle there is like a red line that goes from Jerusalem north to where it says Babylonian Empire and then uh, heads east to Babylon. So these folks were 1,500 miles from home. They were forced to go uh, into exile and live in a land that they did not want to live in. And when we get to Jeremiah 29, here's what's going on. The people have only been in Babylon for just a short time, and they say, we're ready to go home. We're ready now. We've learned our lesson. We're ready to go home. And the message that comes from Jeremiah is, you're ready, but it's not time yet. You're ready to go home, but it's not time yet. Now, the people that had been deported to Babylon were people like Daniel and Ezekiel, really the cream of the crop of Jerusalem. And it had devastated the economy in Jerusalem because they took worshipers and warriors, they took priests and prophets, they took mighty men of valor and kings, they took the cream of the crop to Babylon. So everyone's ready to go home and restart everything in the promised land that God had given them. But though they were ready, it wasn't time yet. Chris is going to read Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, the queen mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metalsmiths, had left Jerusalem. He sent a letter with El- Elisa, son of Shaphan, 
and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The letter stated, This is what the Lord of armies, the Lord of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you, and don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to, to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. For this is the Lord's declaration. The word of the Lord. I want to tell you about a time that I was ready, but it wasn't time. A time I was ready, but it wasn't time. If you've been around New City for a little bit or looked on our website, you know that we're connected with missions in West Africa. Pastor Macklin Basse is a pastor and missionary there, a mentor of mine that I love to go visit and spend time with him and have developed friendships with the churches there in the small country of Togo in West Africa. And usually when I go, two things happen. I am so energized by being around Christians in that country who walk through hardships that we don't have to walk through and have this deep faith that is so encouraging to me. I'm energized, and at the same time, by the end of the trip, I am completely sapped of energy. Those two things always happen. By the end of the week, being in another culture and having to adjust over and over again, it just takes my mental energy. And so by the end of the week, I'm just ready to come home. It's not that I don't want to be there anymore. It's just more like I'm ready for my routine. I'm ready from my bed, I'm ready to see my kids and my wife and, and, and that kind of thing. And one particular time I went, I was really ready, but it wasn't time. I think this was probably my second or third time being in Togo, and I went for a missions conference that they were doing there. And while I was there, I was asked to speak and give three talks on what it meant to be a child of God. I love that. I'm excited about that, and I was ready to share that uh, with the conference. People had come to this conference from all over West Africa some even driving five days to get there. So I was excited, and I started to speak on that first night, and I didn't know this was going to happen, but a camera crew, they were videotaping the conference, walked right to the front and came like right here and pointed the camera right in my face as I'm starting to talk, and like no one told me that was going to happen. Now, the camera had this 
bright light on it. And so it's shining in my face, and literally I, I just can't see because the spotlight is in my eyes, and I'm sort of seeing rainbows. So it took all my mental energy just to focus on what I was, what I was speaking on. And not only that, but the light was hot. And so I began to just sweat during this 45-minute talk. Now, I had planned the energy to give that talk and give it through translation because there was going to be a translator up there with me. But once that spotlight hit me, I was like, sapped. And I had two more talks like that to go. I was worn out by the third talk on the third day. And by the end of the trip, I was just exhausted. Because at the conferences, you meet dozens and dozens of people. And all the, the talks that you give, all the, all the communication that you have is through translation. And many people in Togo speak French, but some of them also speak tribal dialects. So you never know what kind of conversation you're about to get in. And while I was energized by being around all these people, I was completely sapped of energy by the last day. And so the conference ends, and two of the pastors that I had gone with had booked a flight to leave like two hours after the conference ended. But I had booked mine the following day. And so I was like, I, I got to go now. Like, I can't have another conversation with a person. There's nothing in my mind right now except getting home to my family. And so I went with my friends to the airport, and I went up to the ticket agent, and I was like, look, my flight's for tomorrow, but my friends are leaving today. I really need to get on this flight. I'm ready to go home and see my family. And she said, I'm sorry, there's just no seats available. You're going to have to wait till tomorrow. And I was so ready to go home. I was so ready. So I kind of looked at my friends, like, with this sheepish grin, like, does anyone want to trade? <laughs> Let's all be Christians here and share, you know? <laughs> and they're like, sorry, buddy. <laughs> so I went back to the hotel. It was nighttime, and um, I opened up the door. I crashed into my bed, and I didn't wake up till like, lunchtime the next day. And, and when I got that news that I wasn't going to be able to get on that flight, my, my heart just kind of sank because I was like, I'm just ready. I, I don't have anything more to give. There's no point in me being here 24 hours. But I was there 24 hours, and I was, I was eventually able to get on that flight and go home. But the hard part was, though I was ready, it wasn't time. Though I was absolutely 100% ready, it wasn't time. It, it's hard when you're ready for what's next and it's not time. It's hard when you're ready for the next season, the next thing, the next job, and it's not God's time yet. It's really difficult. It's really difficult. I mean, the people in Babylon were ready for what's next. They were ready to come home. They were there in Babylon and the culture was foreign. The worship of the Babylonians was idolatrous. They were 1,500 miles away from the promised land. They had their bags packed, and they were ready. But then this letter comes from Jeremiah, and the call of Jeremiah to the people is this. Just because you're ready doesn't mean it's God's time for you to return. In fact, Jeremiah tells them in this letter he gives them that God actually has you there in exile. 
It's by God's hand that you're there. So unpack your bags and settle in. Verse 4, Jeremiah says this, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Jeremiah is telling them that the exile is not an accident. It's not some alternate timeline that they shouldn't be on. This is part of the purposes of God that they be in this space where they're ready to go home, but it's not time to go home because God has them there. And he says, while you're there, unpack your bags and get rooted in. Verse 5 through 6. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Can you imagine this news coming into the Jerusalem or the Jewish section of Babylon? Like they've got their bags packed, they're ready to go. And the letter from Jeremiah says, settle in. Build a house there. Build a house here in Babylon? I want to get back to my home in Jerusalem. Uh, Marry here? Find another Jewish person to marry here? I want to start a family back in the homeland. Raise my kids here so that, that they can get married to someone else here? No, no, no. I want to raise my family back where it's home. Grow crops here? No way, that takes years and seasons. I don't, I don't want to get rooted here. I don't want to have any sort of commitment here. I don't want to multiply here. I want to just get this over with. And yet, Jeremiah says, multiply there, do not decrease. That sounds a little bit like the language that God used to Abraham. Your family will become a great nation. They will multiply and cover the earth and bless the entire world. You see, God has the people in Babylon for a purpose. It's not an alternate timeline. It is the very thing that God is doing in them. He's calling them to bless Babylon. Look at how explicitly Jeremiah says it in verse 7. Pursue the well-being of the city, I have deported you too. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. That word well-being is the Hebrew word for shalom. And shalom is more than a greeting. It is this robust term that means the harmony of all things working together. The beauty of the fullness of systems and people and everything thriving everything being the way it's supposed to be. And here, the Lord, through Jeremiah, is telling the people in exile, pursue the shalom of Babylon. I don't want to pursue anything for Babylon. The only thing I want to pursue is getting out of Babylon. And yet, God calls them to pursue the shalom of that city. Though they are ready, it isn't God's time. God has them there. They are to be a vehicle of God's blessing to Babylon, even though they don't feel blessed by being in Babylon. They are to pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Now, I think there's a lot in there for us 
as Christians here in this place, in this moment. As culture continues to shift and change, Christians are going to feel more and more on the outside of what's happening in our society. We are, in a sense, cultural exiles. It is going to be seen as weirder and weirder to follow Jesus as the culture moves further and further away from God. Yet, God has us here in this moment, in this time, in the midst of intense racial division, in the midst of cancel culture, COVID-19, everything that went down in 2020, God has us here in this moment, in this time, and it's not an accident. We are to be a blessing to those around us, even if we feel like we're in exile. We, we can't wait for the culture to become Christian again. We have to learn what it means to be the people of God as the culture drifts further and further away from God. But not only that, I think there's something for us geographically here in South Florida, in this particular place. South Florida is a hard place to live. There's traffic. It's a high cost of living. There's a lot of fraud. There's a lot of crime. It's just a difficult place to live. And what I think happens in the midst of that is people are just trying to make it, right? We're just trying to survive. I'm just trying to get through the next day, through the next thing. But what happens as Christians is we end up being consumers of this place we live rather than cultivators. We're not seeking the good of the place that we live. Rather, we're seeking to get something good for me out of the place that we live. Rather than investing in the cities that we call home, we just consume from them. It's almost like they're a stepping stone to the next thing. We step on places and people. Rather than giving something from ourselves to those places, we use those places to make ourselves better. Yet, what, was, what were the Israelites called to do? To pursue the well-being of the city that they were in. What would it look like for you to serve the city that you live in? What would it look like for you to be a good neighbor to those around you? To volunteer at your kid's school? Not to turn a blind eye to the brokenness in your city, but to head towards those broken places because that's the very place where God wants to use you as part of his people. To pursue the well-being, to cultivate God's goodness into it rather than just consuming from it. There's something for us geographically there, but there's also something I think for us personally because all of us have been through seasons in our life, and our personal life, that we just want to get out of. We're done, right? We're ready for the next thing, the next person, the next job, the next thing on our calendar, the next vacation. We're just ready for what's next. But here's the thing. Just because we're ready doesn't mean it's God's time. God had called the people to flourish in a season that they did not want to be in. Just because you're done with a season doesn't mean God is done with you. He might want to use you in that season that you so desperately want to get out of. Here's the thing. In Babylon, there were false prophets telling the people, <coughs> excuse me, telling the people exactly what they wanted to hear which was, since you're ready to go home, God's ready for you to go home. Since you want to be out of this season, 
It must be time, it must be God's time for you to be out of this season. There were false prophets that were giving the people the messages that they wanted to hear about going home. They'd been there a little bit, and the prophets were saying, okay, God's timing for you is to go home in like a year or two. But look what happens in verse 8 and 9. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says, don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you, and don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. People were so desperate for a shift that they listened to the very voices that were saying, a shift is coming, even though that message wasn't from God. You and I can be so desperate for change. We can be so ready for what's next, so ready to be in the next season, so ready for a shift in our lives that we listen to any voice that says, I'm from God and change is coming your way, even if it doesn't line up with God's word. Even if it doesn't line up with God's word. You know, I, I, I hear all the time <coughs> on YouTube and Facebook, I, I hear other preachers saying things like this, like a shift's coming your way, good things are coming. But all those little messages, they're just like fortune cookies. They could mean anything, right? They could mean literally anything. But God gives it to us straight. Every moment in your life, there will be challenges. In fact, in living in this world, we live as exiles. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have suffering. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Sometimes God's truth is not what we want to hear, but that doesn't make it false. Sometimes we hear comforting voices tell us about change that we want, and we assume that's because what our heart wants, that it's true, but it's not necessarily true. What had happened if I had gone up to that ticket agent trying to get on that flight, and she had said, good things are coming for you. A shift is coming your way. Well, do you have a spot on the plane for me? Well, no, but good things are coming your way. See, it doesn't mean anything. And Jeremiah was called to give people the straight truth, even though it was not what they wanted to hear. Let this sink into your hearts. Verse 10, for this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete. Wait, wait, did he say seven years? I mean, I guess I could change my thinking to be in Babylon from two to seven. I, mean, I could still get back within the next decade. Or did Jeremiah say, 70 years? 70 years? That means I'm going to die here. That means I'll never get to go back to the promised land. What kind of God am I serving that I would get part of this exile and have to live in this place that I don't want to be in when I want to just go back to Jerusalem where I can serve him and worship him in the temple. I don't want to be among this idolatrous people for 70 years. I don't want to raise my family here. 70 years. Is God even good? Are his plans good? How can his plans be good when I'm going to die in Babylon? There's no way that God can be good, and there's no way that his plans can be good. But then, that's where this famous verse comes in. Jeremiah 29, 
Verse 11, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. I will bring my people back to Jerusalem. Then look what he says next. For I know the plans I have for you. Even though my people are going to be in 70 years in Babylon, I, I know the plans I have for them. This is the Lord's declaration. It's plans for their well-being, not for disaster, to give them a hope and a future. Though my people will be somewhere they don't want to be for 70 years, my promise is as good as gold. I will bring my people back to the promised land. Their final fate is not suffering. Their ultimate destiny is not pain and oppression but restoration to the land I promised them from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And 70 years later, that's exactly what God did. In 539 B.C., Persia rose up and defeated the Babylonian Empire. Cyrus comes to power as the emperor of Persia. And in 538, just a year later, he he introduces an edict a law that says all the Jews can return (coughs) to Jerusalem, and they do. God's promise comes to fulfillment. This is exactly what the books of Nehemiah and Ezra are about. See, the problem is not Jeremiah 29.11, it's our reading of it. We assume that just because we're ready for the next thing, that God is ready for us to have the next thing. But our expectations of God's purposes and promises and his plans are often too small and too self-centered. So often our plans for God are about God giving us blessing from the world rather when God's plan is to be a blessing to the world through us. So often our plans are for God to give us blessing from the world when God's plans are often for us to be a blessing to the world. And that's exactly what his people were doing during those 70 years in exile. And ultimately, we know he's good. We know his purposes are good. We know he's a good God. We know his promises are good. Because his ultimate purpose is for us to know him. No matter what season we're in. No matter what we hope is coming next. It's always time to know God. Look at what he says in verse 12 through 14. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. I will (coughs) be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. In the midst of being in a place where they didn't want to be, God calls his people to know him, to seek him, to rely on him, to give their hearts to him, to find him, to pray to him according to, their plan, to his plans, and to align their lives with his purposes for them. Philip Graham Ryken puts it this way, God's plans are not just for you, they are for you in relationship to him. God's plans are not just for you. They are 
for you in relationship to him. His ultimate plan for you is to know him and love him and give your heart to him and trust him even if things in your life are not going the way you want him to make them go. Though you're ready for what's next in the future, it is always time to seek God in the present. Riken goes on to say, if God's plans are for the future, the Christian must not complain about the present. One of the dangers of grumbling about what God is doing is that whatever it is, God is probably not finished doing it. By its very nature, a plan is something that will not be completed until sometime in the future. And once it is completed, it will not be a plan anymore. It will be history. If God has plans for hope and a future, you must give him enough time to work them out. That's exactly what happened. God did have plans for hope and a future for his people. Seventy years later, they returned to Jerusalem. They were restored. And then we know after several hundred years, the ultimate plan of God came to fruition. He sent his son Jesus to be the Messiah of the world. And through you and I knowing him, through trusting his death on the cross and his resurrection for us, we too can know, his, can know God. And we too can become children of God. And we know that one day, Christ will return and he will make all things new. And you and I will live together with God in a heavenly city face to face where he will wipe all tears from our eyes and there will be no more crying, mourning, or pain. And the glory of Jesus Christ will light up the city. Friends, let that be your deepest longing today as you long for that change, as you're ready for a shift. Trust God and his plans, not just for you individually, but what he has for us as his people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming as part of the plan of God. You went through the ultimate suffering on our behalf. Lord, we pray um, that you would help us not to put false expectations on you, that you would help us to rely on you. So often we want things to happen in our life and we're just so disappointed when they don't. Um, Remind us in those moments that you're still good, that your promises are still true, that Jesus is still risen from the dead and our ultimate hope is not things going the way we want to in our life but seeing you face to face in the new city. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. Download our app by searching New City HH in your app store. We'll see you next week.